Father, we do just ask that you would utilize this time Tonight's topic is so critical, so crucial to living for your glory, so crucial to bearing fruit, to being ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. It's so crucial to becoming more like you and being sanctified, overcoming sin. I just ask, Lord, that in a very supernatural, miraculous way, that your spirit this evening would capture our thoughts and our attention, that we would be caught up in your word, that we would be moved to joy and excitement, Lord, that as we read many passages from your scripture tonight, that we would feel bursts of warmth and delight and passion in our spirit that would cause us to delight in you and walk in the newness of life that you have promised us. God, I pray against our flesh this evening. I pray against the enemy Our flesh is naturally obsessed with itself and loves this world and the enemy hates you and seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And I pray, Lord, that the much greater, sovereign, autonomous power of God would overcome all of those things and move tonight in a powerful, visible way that we would be changed, that we would be full of joy in the Spirit. God, do a work in our midst this evening in our hearts that far surpasses a two-hour evening or a day or a week, but truly sets us on a path of sanctification and greater joy than we've ever thought imaginable. And where you use us in such a way that sinners are coming to know you as Lord and Savior And souls are moved from under your wrath to the fullness of your joy. Only you can do this. We ask that you would do so tonight. And Lord, we pray with faith and great expectations that you will do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, tonight is, I think, our 28th week. Of, of this year, around there, and tonight's topic is a biblical worldview of time, time, like 24 hours in a day, like 60 minutes an hour, 60 seconds in a minute. How do we culti- cultivate a biblical worldview of how we use our time, spend our time, or the word we'll want to use tonight is steward our time. And and one of the things I want to let you know up front is that your time is not your time. It it is a total gift of God's grace to you to be used specifically for his purposes. And the great thing is we talk about all the time is that is for his glory and it is for your joy. 
And so understanding that, you, you think of a passage like 1 Corinthians 6, which we use in the context of sexual immorality. We've used it for dating and for marriage and, and things like that. Your bodies are not your own, therefore glorify God in your bodies. Well, this, this can be uh, applicable to every aspect of your life. Your time is not your own, therefore glorify God in your time. It's been purchased, it's been redeemed. When I think about the gospel and what it says about time, I think about the fact that God created time. And he created it specifically. He created days. He created minutes. He created the tides and the way the sun moves. I mean, it's amazing. When you think about time, it's no small thing. God created it. And he created it to display his glory. That's amazing. As he did all things. And he created it to be good. And he created it for us to use for our good and for his glory. It was perfect. And if you look and reflect about Adam and Eve in the garden, I mean, talk about productivity in a biblical sense, they worked, they enjoyed each other, they, they were full of rest, and you know, there's the day of rest, and they were in the presence of God and fellowship. What a beautiful image of how time was created to be. And then, as you know, with the gospel, sin enters into the world because Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, not take him at his word, find delight in something else. And they committed adultery and idolatry. And Romans 5 talks about how sin entered through one man and has come into all of us. has corrupted all of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which means this. We all are sinful in our use of time. Naturally. We don't have to be. And not all of us are in all of the aspects of how we use our time. But apart from Christ, we use it wrongly. Even Even the the most disciplined and diligent person outside of Christ is sinful in their stewardship of time. Why? Because stewardship is taking care of something that's been given to you for the purposes of magnifying, glorifying, and keeping it for the sake of the person who gave it to you. That's stewardship. So you, you think of stewardship. Those who are not in Christ cannot biblically steward God's time because they're not doing it for the glory of God. Romans 14, 23, you know it. Anything apart from faith is what? Sin. So even the good that they accomplish in this world amounts to nothing because they're outside of Christ. And we as believers now have the ability through the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to steward time correctly and for his glory and for our own joy. Because it's been redeemed, the next part of the gospel, through Christ. Christ is the perfect example of somebody who used his time according to the Father's purposes. In fact, he prays this. You see this in John 9, John chapter 10, John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. Beautiful imagery. And we could honestly spend the entire night just looking at the life of Jesus and how he stewarded the time that he was given for the glory of God. And he did so in every facet of life, as a baby, as a child, as a son, as a brother, as a friend, as a student, as a teacher, as a worker. Every aspect of his life, he used and stewarded his time for the glory of God. He finished the work that the Father gave him to do, John 17 says. And all of this points to an eternity of joyful time. (laughs) It doesn't end. That's the great ending of the gospel when it comes to time, that we will be able to feast on the goodness of God and his joy and delight in his glory for all of eternity. This is a great, great hope, what the gospel has to say about time. Tonight we're going to take, though, a different approach from what we have been doing uh, with tonight's topic. 
You'll understand more what I mean here in a moment. But when we think about worldviews, which is what we've been doing this semester, cultivating a biblical worldview, and what's a biblical worldview of marriage and work and entertainment and sexual morality and things of the like, when we think about all that we've discussed this semester and we think about a worldview, we, we tend to think of those big topics, right? Sex, work, money, abortion, racism, etc. These are crucial topics and should be discussed. We need to be active in them. We need to have a, the correct biblical understanding of these topics. But there are things that are much more day-to-day and practical in our lives that we need wisdom and we need a biblical understanding of. Perhaps the greatest of these is time. I believe that tonight's discussion, listen to me, is the most important discussion we've had all year when it comes to cultivating a biblical worldview. And this is why. Truly, how you deal with time is what causes you to have a biblical worldview in every other topic. Every day we're faced with decisions and we're faced with buckets of time. We, we have all kinds of responsibilities. You think of work and rest and homes and families and to-do lists and community activities and friends and church fellowship and serving and eating and leisure. The reality is, is that we aren't all faced with these big worldview issues every single day. Many of you have never come face-to-face with the issue of abortion. Many of you have never come face-to-face with the issue of divorce or remarriage. Many of you haven't come face-to-face with issues of entertainment or lust or whatever. However, every single day prepares us for when we do face big issues head-on. The majority of life, I believe, is full of responses or reactions. Now, I want to note that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. Nothing comes into existence apart from him allowing or causing specific purposes and means. So I don't mean to say that life is reactionary and responsive in the sense of God is reacting to things. I mean for us, as we live in the day-to-day life, think about it. Your Your days are full of responding to things that you have prepared for and reacting to things that you did not see coming. Right? This is what consumes the bulk of your time. We react to circumstances, to people, to conversations, to seasons. This means that how we live and use our time is crucial to cultivating a biblical reaction and response in all things. Cultivating a biblical worldview is more than just dealing with the big issues of the day. A true biblical worldview, hear me, a true biblical worldview is cultivated in the day-to-day disciplines of our life. Do you hear that? A true biblical worldview is cultivated in the day-to-day disciplines of your life. This is what Paul means in Romans 12 when he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is what he means by keeping in step with the Spirit. This is what he means by walking in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. How you live your day-to-day life is what will affect the bigger picture. It is the actual cultivating part of your worldview. So what we need far more than an understanding of these big issues is an understanding of how we live for the glory of God every second of every day. The Bible tells us that we are to do everything different from the world. Right? Think back to Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the world. 
If you think about it, look at 1 Thessalonians, that we are to grieve or mourn differently than the world. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, remember. We are to spend our money different. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We're to date or marry different. We've talked about that the last two weeks. We're to love differently. We are to eat and drink differently. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Romans 14. We're to dress and speak differently. We talked about modesty. Well, what is influencing all of these things? What is causing you to respond and act and live in these things? It truly is what you spend your time doing because that is shaping how you respond and how you react. It's what you do with your time. And today we live in a world full of distraction. Amen? Our phones and tablets and TVs, our projects, our dreams, our goals, our studies, our vocations, our friends, our families, our sports, our extracurricular activities, we are exhaustively busy. And there is always more to do. And something can always be better than it is. Right? That's called living in the already, not yet. There's not enough time in the day, we think, to do our laundry, to clean the kitchen, to eat three meals, to fellowship with friends, to get in the Word, to pray without ceasing, to spend quality time with our spouses, to disciple our kids, to serve the body, to witness to the lost, to rest, to clean, to work, to mulch, to mow, to pay bills, to pick up groceries, to plan for the future, etc. The list goes on and on and on. You know the weight because you're living in it every single day. It seems every time we take a step forward in one area, we fall behind in other areas. It seems like every time we make somebody happy with our time, somebody else is unhappy. And yet, God is the creator of every day, and he's the sovereign ruler over every day. And he created the day with 24 hours, which means in those 24 hours, what he expects you to do in that time, that time period is what? Sufficient for you to accomplish all that God has purposed for you to. Now, We will, for the most part, in our life and in our time, pursue what we desire most. We talked about this uh, probably a dozen weeks ago. Think about it. For the most part, the way you spend your time is you are doing what you want to do. And you might say, well, no, I go to work and I can't stand working. Yeah, but you're going to work so you can get money. So you can spend it on the things that you want to do or live in or place you want to go or food you want to eat. I mean, even something as simple as working In many ways, you're doing it so that you can accomplish what you desire, whether that be a a noble, biblical, godly goal or a very selfish, worldly goal. You are spending your time doing what you want to do. Therefore, we need to look at our days and we need to look at our time from a biblical perspective. And the thief is coming to steal your time. He's coming to kill your godly desires and to destroy your godly disciplines. So I I have a question for us to think about. We tend to be uh, very overwhelmed every day because there are expectations. This is why time is stressful, right? (laughs) There's expectations. So I think about the expectations of me and managing my household and the cleanliness of it, or the time that I, my wife expects me to spend with, spend with her, or the time that my wife expects me to spend with my daughter, or the time that my friends expect me to spend with them, or the time that my job expects me to spend working at my job and, and studying, or the time that I fill in the blank, the, time, the expectations that I have for myself. I need to fix my lawn. AJ can uh, attribute to that. You look, I've, I've got the lawn that looks out of place of every lawn in my development. It's like everybody's green, and I'm like this yellow... Hey, it's weird, right? It's a, I've, yeah, whatever. I've got, uh, look, I have all kinds of 
Forget everybody else's expectations. I have massive expectations of myself. The real question, though, and what should drive how we spend our time is, what does God expect from us each day? Boy, that's a powerful question. That's a game-changing question. What does God expect from me every single day? And we can find this by looking at the Bible. So the question then translates to, what does the Bible command us to do on a daily basis? Well, what I've done is I've looked at close to 50 passages and I've summarized the things that we are to be diligent in each day that I've found in the Word of God, as well as the warnings that God gives us about how we spend our time. So tonight will be a lot of Scripture, and it will be a lot of practical exhortation and much of what you may have already heard. And my prayer, please, please pray this with me in your heart. My prayer is that we can see what is at stake with our time and then prayerfully keep in step with the Spirit so that we may make the best use of our time and truly cultivate a biblical worldview, okay? So I want to give you four things that I believe are at stake. And understanding that God is sovereign and man is responsible, I want to look at what I believe to be four things at stake with how we use our time. Nick, you can put those up for me. All right, I want you to read them with me. The first one, here we go. Your daily sanctification. Number two. Others' sanctification. Third, the furthering of the gospel. And four, the glory of God in your life. Now, ultimately, God is in control of all things. Amen. But we are held responsible and we're called to action and God uses means. Therefore, it is crucial when we look at how we spend our time that we understand that our sanctification is at stake with how we spend our time. That other people's sanctification because of what God calls us to do in the life of other believers is at stake with how we spend our time. That the furthering of the gospel, bold witnesses, ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, how we are reaching the lost people is at stake with how we spend our time. And the glory of God in us and through us is at stake with how we spend our time. Can I just say that those stakes are massive and should cause us, again, to really humble ourselves before we dive too deep into what the Bible says about how we spend our time. Now, there are many books, many formulas in the world today for how to effectively manage your time. And how to be productive. Most of them honestly tend to be uh, secular um, books and readings and authors. And, and by the way, many of them can be very helpful and becoming more healthy and organization and discipline and diligence. You know, you have, you know, there's formulas like make sure you get eight hours of rest. And, you know, my mom used to always tell me that get half of them on the front end of midnight, right? You are, the, the better hours of sleep are on the front end of midnight. I'd be like, Mama, I got eight hours of sleep. Yeah, well, you went to bed at 3 a.m. and you slept till 11, and that's not good rest. You know, many people say it's, it's crucial that you wake up an hour early. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in reading in the morning. Many people tell you the best time to exercise in the morning. Get up early in the morning. Exercise. Run. Walk. Get your heart beaten. Many people tell you, Herb always tells me this, have a huge breakfast. Eat a big breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. And then you, you read another article, and it's like, eh, eat a light breakfast and eat a healthy lunch and have a big dinner. And other people are like, no, don't have a big dinner. Have a light lunch, a medium breakfast, and don't eat anything after 6. Other people say, no, it's really important if you want to build muscle, you should eat at 6, 8, 10 o'clock, midnight, 2 o'clock, 4. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a, there's a thousand formulas. But, but here's why there's a thousand formulas. You want to know why? Each person, in many ways, each person is different. All right? Each person body is different. Each person's uh, time and responsibilities are different. Many people's families are different. Many people's problems and struggles and temptations are different, which means that you should have a very specific 
approach to how you steward your time. And it will more than likely, in a lot of ways, look different than what other people do. Although in many ways it can look the same, especially when we get to the biblical side of things. So my goal tonight is to take no part in trying to give you another formula or teach you how to figure out your schedule. I I probably should sit in one of those classes. Rather, I believe that if I give you biblical principles and you apply them to your daily life, I believe that you will find that you are making the best use of your time, that you will be cultivating a biblical worldview, and that you will be conforming to Christ and glorifying him. So I now want to transition to three scriptures that I think you should memorize. (laughs) I think you should memorize these scriptures. I think you should say them every single day, and I think you should say them in this order every single day, all right? Nick's going to put them up for us. Let's read the top one first, all right? We'll say the reference first, and then we'll read the top part or the verse together. Here we go. Psalm 90, 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. How about Ephesians 5, 16? Let's read it. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, Making the best use of time because the days are evil. How about the third one, which is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read it. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Now, there's a progression here. Number one, teach us to count our days. There is an end, Right? Teach us to number, not how many days we have left. Teach teach us to number and count important and see the weight and the magnitude of our day today. That tomorrow is not promised. Therefore, we should have a heart of wisdom and seek a heart of wisdom. So to wake up and say, all right, what a gift of grace you give me today. Who knows if I will make it through the day. Help me to honor you with the time I have left. And that that goes to, look carefully, David, how you walk today. Make the best use of your time. Not as an unwise person, as a wise person. Heart of wisdom, Psalm 90 verse 12. Why? Because the days are evil. Eternity is at stake for every single person who's walking the face of the earth. And the great comfort in your day, because you're going, "Mm, that's kind of deep, that's tough. If that is what is expected of me, I'm in trouble. But here's the grace. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at what? All times, every millisecond, at all times, in what? Every way, the Lord be with you all. What a great way to start your day. I'd memorize those three verses. I would cling to them. All right, now as we get in the nitty-gritty, I'm, gonna, I'm about to drop a couple numbers on you that's going to cause most of you want to go like this. But I want you to, to, to bear with me, all right? Who knows what's going to happen. Tonight, I want to... I want to give you exhortations and warnings. As I mentioned before, there is a lot of Bible that we will read. I found myself, this is a side note, so frustrated the last week or two with churches and pastors. Now, I I will pause and take a step back and humble myself, all right? Because I have just as much frustration myself. The reality is probably many of you have frustrations with me, but let me tell you what I'm talking about. There's so many gimmicks happening in churches. There's so many buildings of church kingdoms and church names and promotion and catchy sayings and utilizing all kinds of things in this world to attract people and preach a really soft gospel. And I hate it with every fiber of my being. I hate it. I need you to know how much I hate it. 
And so what I struggle with is I've listened to a lot of messages from these churches. And it's all like this fluffy, cliche saying. I want to I give you a statement that has three C's in it that will cause you to remember it. And, you know, God's greatest act will happen upon your act of the lust act in which we must act. Miracle. And then it's like, oh, praise God. And then you have pastors or preachers go, am I speaking to anybody? Can I get an amen there? Am I resonating with your heart? And I just want to go, you literally just said the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And none of it has anything to do. Open the text and let the word of God speak. I mean, that's what I want to say. And so here's, here's where I, I, I've been nervous because tonight is like not preaching. What we're about to get to is not preaching. It's just letting the word of God speak. And it's things that you've probably heard over and over and over. And if you're not careful, here's what will probably happen. Your ears have been so trained to itch and want to hear specific things that you might just go, I know this. Yeah, I know it. Mm-hmm. And it will go in one ear and out the other, and you don't feel the weight and glory of these glorious gospel biblical truths. And what I'm going to ask you to think about and examine in your heart tonight as we go through this list, I want you to move past head knowledge of you knowing something and realize that being a follower of Christ And cultivating a biblical worldview requires you not to know things, but to live in such a way that reveals you know these things. Does that make sense? So literally, we are going to let the word of God speak tonight. And I will say very little from now until the conclusion of my own thoughts, okay? And God, move, use your word for your glory. God, use it in our hearts tonight to be changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. I want to give you a dozen daily exhortations that I believe will develop a God-glorifying use of your time. I'm going to give you 12 exhortations, 12 encouragements, 12 challenges that should thrust you into a God-glorifying obedience and use of your time. Now, what I'm going to ask again is, as we give each of these, I want you to remember, we're talking in the context of how you spend your time Daily, we're answering the question, what does God expect from you? We're asking the question, what does the Bible command of you daily? That is, that's the focus. This is the sphere in which we're working with, okay? Here we go, number one. And I will give you the handouts, and it will have all 12, and it will have verses, okay, with them. You're, you're getting literally everything tonight. So if you're a note taker, maybe write things that come to mind or something that the Lord might say to you that resonates with your heart from the word of God, whatever, okay? Here we go, number one. Seek the Lord's will. Seek the Lord's will. The opposite would be seeking your will. All right? Here's some verses. Ephesians 5, 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How about 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2? Live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I'll say that again. Live the rest of the time in your flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The command to not plan and put into motion all these things that you think are going to happen apart from planning with the Lord and being prepared to submit to his will, whatever that may be. 
By the way, this is when a lot of discouragement can happen, when God's plans go against what our plans were, and then we're frustrated, and this shows that we've been boasting in our arrogance, and we've not been saying and living in such a way, if the Lord wills. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 21, verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Seek the Lord's will every day. Number two, seek to build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't... And by the way, this verse can be misused. And all these things will be added unto you. Okay, amen. But can I just pause and say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is enough. Even if none of these things or whatever that it may even be, may be added to me in the context, it's talking about food, drink, and clothing, by the way. It's not talking about your wildest dreams, your wildest uh, plans, and, uh, and everything that you want. It's saying your basic needs to survive, Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That should be sufficient for us every single day. Secondly, Luke chapter 9, verse 20 through 26, and building the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self. Jesus said to everyone who is listening, if anyone would come after me, boy, this talk about an altar call. Talk, talk about an altar call that would not be welcomed in a lot of churches, even in this city. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Don't get comfortable with this passage. Think about this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? By the way, from a worldly standpoint, that's the most profit there is. That's literally the most profit you can get in this world. The whole world. But what does it profit a man, if he gains the whole world and forfeits or loses himself. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So seek to build the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of self. Number three, daily. Number three, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit. And you want to know what happens when you walk by the Spirit? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen! 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, don't quench the Spirit. James 4, 17, more on that later. James 4, 17, this is at the end of the passage of, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go into such a town trade and make a profit, spend a year there, you boast in your arrogance. The end of that passage, verse 17, says this. And you might ask why I put this in the keeping of the Spirit. I'll tell you why. It says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now think about this. You you probably all have testimonies of this. In your daily life, when you are seeking to keep and set the Spirit, you're in God's Word, you're praying without ceasing, You've got the Spirit of God inside of you. What happens when you come up against a decision of sin or glorify God? Do you have the Spirit of God in your heart saying, don't do this, don't grieve me, don't quench the Spirit. I'm, I'm more desirable, I'm, I'm worth more, 
I've got greater joy than what you're about to give in. Satan is lying to you. This satisfies for a moment. I have eternal pleasures. Don't give in to the flesh. Give in and submit to the spirit. You, you know what I'm talking about? Every day I hear that voice. And James warns us in the context of keeping in step with the spirit that when you hear that voice, when you know the right thing to do and yet you fail to do it, it is sin. This is quenching the spirit. It is neglecting the voice of God, rather than submitting to what God is saying. So don't do that. Keep instead of the Spirit. Heed those warnings from the Spirit. What a gracious gift God has given us. And then taste the victory and joy afterwards. Beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Here's, again, the grace that we have here. God is able to make all grace abound to you. In those moments, you can overcome that sin. So that having, I love this, having all sufficiency, say all sufficiency. In all things, say all things. At all times, say all times. Whoa, having all sufficiency, everything you could possibly need. At all times, or in all things, anything that could possibly come up, at all times, every second of the day. That means every second, moment, temptation, test, trial, whatever There is a total sufficient grace that God is willing to unleash and pour out upon you so that you do not give in. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And why? The end of that verse, so that you may abound in every good work. Keep in step with the Spirit. Understand the army, the army that God has prepared of His grace, His overwhelming mercy, and His Spirit to lavish upon you so that you can overcome sin and keep in step with the Spirit. Number four. Daily, abide and delight in the word. I wish I could just preach 365, how many days are in a year? Yes. I wish I could, I wish I could, some of us are gifted in some things, some of us are gifted in other things. Don't roll your eyes at me. All right? All right. I wish I could preach 365 days on abiding and delighting and obeying God's word. I seriously do. If, If I was allowed, I would, that's all I would ever preach on. But there's so much, the whole counsel of God, you got to preach the God. I, I, I get it. But the word of God, it's like, if you, listen, if you want to steward your time and use it for the glory of God, make the best use of your time, how on earth do you think you are going to do that apart from the word of God? Now, really, this number four should be like one, two, three, four, five. It, this goes hand in hand with every single thing we're going to talk about. Everything you have already heard, everything you'll hear after this all goes back to you have to abide in God's word, delight in God's word, obey God's word. What's sad is that most of you have probably heard me say this a thousand times in the last three or four years. I know testimonies of many of you have been implementing this discipline into your daily life and you're growing leaps and bounds. But there's probably some of you who are like, why are we hearing another word, another challenge of abiding in the word of God? Uh, just preach to me something that can change my life. And, and the reality is probably if you were to examine your life, probably spend very little time on the word of God. So what you probably need is every point to be abide in the word of God. This is the head knowledge transferred to the heart's delight and doing, moving in action by the grace of God. Talk about the moments where the Holy Spirit will lead you to open up the word of God and abide in delight. That's the moment we just talked about, that he will unleash. It's sufficient in all things at all times for you to abound in every good work. Abide in the light in the word. Psalm chapter 1 verse 2. This man's delight is in the law of the Lord, the man who is blessed. On his law he meditates day and night. Psalm chapter 119, verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart. Why? 
that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. Talk about using our time for the glory of God. His word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light into our path. It shows us what we should do, where we should walk, how we should react, how we should respond. Psalm chapter 119, verse 147 through 148. I love this. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. How many of you wake up and do this? Over and over and over again. And then when you finally have to get up, or what happens to me, I'm, I'm confessing apparently my sin. I'm not. Abby goes, get up! She started kicking me, moving me. I said, like, I, anybody else set literally 30 alarms? Thank you, Amy. I set so many alarms. I'm just tired all the time. I, I know. I, I need this message. But she'll kick me and hit me. And I, I, this, this is convicting. Verse 147, 148. This man is rising before dawn, crying for help, hoping in his words. The eyes are awake for the watch of the night that he may meditate on the promise. He's, he's not upset about being up early. He's not waking up groggy going, I don't want to do this. He's up for all of that, hoping in God's word, delighting in God's word, watching through the night, meditating on his promises. Wow! John chapter 8, 31 through 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that, I love so that's in scripture, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. James chapter 4 verse 8, something as simple as this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Abide in the word of God daily. Number five, you want to know how to make the best use of your time? Fifth principle, the fifth exhortation, seek godly biblical wisdom. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. This is interesting. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Towards non-believers. Walk in wisdom. I, I received an email uh, a couple days ago from a, uh, a father at my dad's church. It was a son who was in eighth grade. He was playing soccer, and he had a situation happen in the most recent games. He was discouraged. So sent me a message. Hey, Dave, have you ever experienced any of this? Can you give some soccer input, something that could help him get better, you know, be a better player, better leader in his team, better uh, whatever, all that kind of stuff and in general. So I'm responding to this gentleman and i incorporating some soccer thoughts and encouragements and then I get to the, really the, the more important thing that what a failure if this guy's an awesome soccer player on Judgment Day and is not a man of God. So to put those disciplines into his life and have that accountability and diligence to make him a man of God more so than a, a great soccer player. But as I was, as I was thinking about this, I, I was reflecting on my years playing soccer and what are my regrets. Now, this is amazing for me because I miss soccer so much. Right, Mike? Yeah. And you're way older than me. I can't imagine. <laughs> that wasn't respectful. I'm sorry. Uh, I, so I'm reflecting on... My years playing soccer, I miss it so much. I feel like I missed so many opportunities. I feel like I didn't reach my maximum potential. I felt like I was lazy. I felt like I wasn't really a good um, teammate, that I, I, I could have done more at home to make my skills better. I, I wish I would have 
sought it a little harder after my injury and try to get back into it more so. I have these regrets, but as I'm reflecting on my soccer years, I'm realizing these actually aren't my regrets from my soccer years. You know what my regrets from my soccer years are? And I share this with this, with this father. My regrets are that there is really no way to distinguish me from my teammates. In my words, in my actions, in my attitude. Uh, my regrets, I was incredibly arrogant. I thought I was God's gift to every team and coach that I played on. Unbelievably arrogant. I, I, my bigger regrets are all the red cards and a lot of them right? I, I hate it. I remember what I did. Uh, there's one specific moment that I'm not going to repeat. The, and the game is over, and I walked up to a female ref, and I let her have it. And I got a red card after the game, and I was suspended for so long. I, I just filthy. When I first coached soccer here at St. Thomas More, the anger. I had, a, you know, I, had to, I had to take an anger management class. Mike knows. He was the assistant coach. I got kicked out of a game more than once in order for me to continue to be able to still coach. I was a pastor at this time. This is like eight years ago. I had to take an ang- estate's anger management course so that I could be allowed to coach again. Those are my regrets of soccer. And I think about this when I think of Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And then it says, making the best use of the time. Now this is amazing in the context of time. It means that one of the ways that we are to steward the time that God has given us is by being wise in how we act and think and speak among outsiders. Talk about regrets. I know I'm not the only person here who's made a fool of himself. Don't look at me like I'm crazy and shouldn't be a pastor. I shouldn't be a pastor, by the way. But I have this ministry by the mercies of God. Thank you, Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul tells us to test everything. Boy, what you should do every time you hear a message or challenge from a pastor or anybody is go home and go to the source. Open the word of God. Seek what God says. Test it against scripture. Pray and seek godly counsel from the Holy Spirit. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Now it goes on saying talk, ask in faith. <laughs> Don't be a double-minded man. Proverbs eleven fourteen: Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Romans 12.2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So seek godly biblical wisdom every day. Number six. Daily. How do you steward your time? Trust the Lord. My, my favorite attribute of God is his sovereignty. I love the sovereignty of God. Now, I don't mean in an intellectual, logical, theological debate kind of a way. What I mean is it is the only source of peace and hope and joy I have in this life. Period. If God is not sovereign, I have no hope. If God is not sovereign, if there are maverick molecules, if he's dependent upon me or my will in any matter, he ceases to be God. I love the sovereignty of God. Trust the Lord every day. Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust in Him at all times. Oh, every second, every minute, every hour. Trust in Him at all times. It says, oh, people, I can, just, I can hear David. I, I, I can't hear him. I can't see him. I, I'd be careful of these images. But I, I picture him in my head. I, I picture, oh, people, he says, pour out your heart before him. 
God is a refuge for us. Well, talk about stewarding your time. Trust the Lord. Pour out your heart before him. He's a refuge for you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust the Lord. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. I love progressions in Scripture. The Lord is my strength. He's my shield. Therefore, I trust in him. Therefore, I am helped by the only one who can help. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I can trust the Lord. Number seven, to steward your time, have an eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. We do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. <laughs> I, I changed my, my daughter's diaper this afternoon. She's laying there, and I'm just doing this. It took me like 30 seconds. And I got up, and I felt like I, felt like I had just been hit with a Mack truck in my back. I'm like, how old am I? I'm active. I have decent posture. I'm just like, what is happening? Uh, yeah, don't lose heart. My outer self is wasting away. I know, I'm, I, I am young. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here, here's how. Here's how this happens. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 9. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are good of courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And you make it your aim to please him by focusing not on the temporary. Talk about depression. Talk about anxiety. Talk about devastation. Talk about fear and worry. That all is a result of focusing on temporary things. It, it's, whether you, and and I, I get it. I know people struggle with anxiety and depression and fear and worry. But you do realize what that is. In those moments when you give into it, whether you want to hear it or not from any kind of psychological, medical, professional person who will say whatever, it is choosing to not believe the great, glorious gospel truths about who God is and how he's reigning. God overcomes those. I, I don't uh, pretend to say it's easier uh, or it's not difficult for some people. I get it. We're, we all have different struggles and different weaknesses. But preach the gospel to yourself. Have an eternal perspective, knowing that it's temporary. Number eight, daily, to steward the time God has given you. Be faithful in prayer. Be faithful. Be fervent. Be intentional. Increase in prayer. Ephesians six eighteen. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Colossians 2, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without... Just making sure you're with me. Psalm 32, 6. I love this verse. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, Lord, at a time when he may be found. If you're godly, you pray. And we pray now at a time while he may be found because the day is coming where praying will cease. For those of Christ will be in the presence of the Lord. For those apart from Christ, they'll be under his wrath for all eternity. Contrary to what the Pope and the Vatican tries to cover up, there is a hell. Psalm 55, verse 16 through 17. But I call, I call to God, the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice throughout the day. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of things is at hand. Therefore, since the end is at hand, therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded. Why? Unbelievable. Why should we be self-controlled and sober-minded? Peter says, for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. Be faithful in prayer. Number nine, to steward your time wisely. Praise the Lord continually with thanksgiving. Find moments all throughout the day to just stop and praise the Lord and thank Him. You struggling, having a tough day? Just stop, praise the Lord, and thank Him. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 119, verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Psalm 96, 2, sing unto the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Ephesians 5, 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. That's what I just said. You're having a tough day? Something really horrible just happened? Stop and give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That is an eternal perspective, and that is what makes you distinct from the world. Number 10, to steward your time according to how God expects you to live in fruitful fellowship with the body. Amen. Ephesians 5, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You do this with one another. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hebrews three thirteen, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When we talked about what's at stake, and we said not only your sanctification, the sanctification of others, this is what we're talking about. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ephesians 6, 18, make supplication for all the saints. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, gives a whole bunch of one another's, and as good stewards of God's varied grace, that includes time, verse 10. As good stewards of God's varied grace. So, as a good steward of God's gracious gift of time, show hospitality. Love one another earnestly. Don't grumble or complain. Use your gifts to serve one another, etc. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 through 15. Same type of thing. Encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. Verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. A rebuke is a loving thing. Amen? Anybody ever received a rebuke? And you're like, oh. Painful and beautiful. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Number 11. Steward your time by being diligent and disciplined. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and this should just be on repeat for the youth of today and a lot of the young adults today. Be diligent and disciplined. Proverbs 14, 23. In all toil or labor there is a profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Romans 12, 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Why, why are we disciplined and diligent? Because we're working as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 23-24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, including yourself. You're included in the men part of that. You are serving the Lord Christ. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10-11, or 10-12, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. This is what Paul would give to the Thessalonians. This is the command he gave. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, lazy, not busy at work, but busy bodies. That's wasting your time. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ do their work quietly and earn their own living. Number 12, to make the best use of your time, daily keep alert at all times. Ephesians 6.18, in the context of spiritual warfare, Paul says, keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, keep alert, keep on keeping alert. And keep on, keep on, keeping on, keeping on alert. John 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And this is not talking of what we just talked about, of earning a living. This is the work of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Why? Because Mark 13, verse 33, 35, and 37 says, Be on guard. Keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows in the morning. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, the reason we are to put into practice these 12 disciplines, daily disciplines, is because there are warnings in Scripture. And that's where I want to end tonight. Very briefly, I want to give you six warnings that Scripture gives us. Warnings of the danger of wasting our time, okay? The first warning is the warning of worldliness. The warning of worldliness. And I'm going to pull almost all of these verses from the same passages that we just got our exhortations from. Because almost all of them are full of exhortations and warnings. If you remember back to Luke chapter 9, taking up the cross, denying himself, following him. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? How about 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17? It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. This is the warning of worldliness. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's a warning. It's a warning of worldliness. Number two, the warning of unbelief. 
Remember our Hebrews 3, exhorting one another as long as called today passage? Verse 12 says, take care, brothers. Watch out. Warning. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. Leading you to drift, rather exhort one another. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul challenges us to examine ourselves. Why are we to examine ourselves? To see whether we are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. In other words, are you bearing fruit? Are you showing signs of sanctification? There's a warning here of unbelief. Number three, and, and, and by the way, the application there is look at your day. This is what I want you to do with these 12 things. You look at the 12 things. Am, am I seek, today? Did, did I seek godly counsel and wisdom? Did I abide in the word today? Have I been faithful in prayer today? Am I keeping in step with the spirit today? Am I seeking my own kingdom today or am I seeking the kingdom of God? Am I seeking to know the will of the Lord? Am I keeping alert at all times today? Have I been praising the Lord? Has thanksgiving been on my lips today? I mean, this, that's the application. Are you, you may know these things. Look, you, you may have just tuned me out for 30 minutes because you know these things. Reflect on your day. Are you doing these things? And that's why the warnings. There's a warning of worldliness. It's passing away. There's a warning of unbelief. You better make sure you're in the faith. Number three, there's the warning of boasting about tomorrow. And here's why. Because as James 4 says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. You're boasting in your arrogance. Ecclesiastes 9.12, man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Or how about Psalm chapter 89, verse 47 through 48, which says, remember how short my time is. What vanity you have created, all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? The warning, number four, of living foolishly. This is just not being distinct. This is not walking wise towards outsiders. Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place. This is in the same chapter of make the best use of your time because the days are evil. 2 Timothy 2.23, Paul's final command to Timothy, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. Mark 7, 21 through 23. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things don't come from without. Don't point your finger out here. All these things, verse 23 says, comes from within, and they defile a person. This is serious. That's a, that's a warning. It's a warning of living foolishly. And that person's bed in death is hell. Number five, the warning of fear and anxiety. If you go back to Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Look at the birds of the air. Look at them who gather into barns, who, who by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? One of my favorite verses in scripture. Who can add a single hour to his life by being anxious? Why are you anxious about clothing? 
Look at the lilies. Look at the grass that God clothes. Oh, you of little faith. Verse 31 says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles, they seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Proverbs chapter 26, 13 through 16, you see this sluggard, a lazy, slothful person who lays in bed and says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the street. And it says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Talk about the generation coming up. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. When you indulge in laziness, you become more lazy. The sluggard, and this is how foolish he is, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. He's just blind. Number six, and finally, the warning of the day of the Lord. If you look at the Old Testament, what did the prophets warn? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Judgment is coming. Repent. Turn while you can. And there were plenty, by the way, a good application of the day of the Lord is that there are many days of the Lord. That's a good application. Rather than wanting to immediately go to eschatology, the end times, and be like, the day of the Lord is the rapture. Oh, no, the rapture isn't even in the Bible. It's the millennium. Well, the, yeah, but a pre-millennium or post-millennium. Well, it's when Jesus going to... Don't stop with all that. Pause. Right? And just think to yourself, the day of the Lord is when judgment happens. Or, personally, when your soul is required. If you look at the rich man who is putting all the things he's born, he says, fool, tonight your soul is required from you. The day of the Lord is representative, representative of judgment and the end of your life. The end of your ability to repent and turn to Christ. And here's the warning of the day of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That verse I read beforehand, you're to do this because the end of of all things is at hand. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Mark 13, verse 33 through 36, or 33 and 36. Jesus says to be on guard and keep awake. Why? You do not know when the time will come, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Those are six warnings. I'll remind you of the 12 exhortations. You want to honor the Lord of your time and be a good steward? Seek the Lord's will. Seek to build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self. Keep in step with the Spirit. Abide in delight in the Word. Daily, seek godly, biblical wisdom. Daily, trust the Lord. Daily, have an eternal perspective. Daily, be faithful in prayer. Daily, praise the Lord continually with thanksgiving. Daily, live in fruitful fellowship with the body. Daily, be diligent and disciplined. Daily, keep alert at all times. Daily. You want to know what sparked one of the beginning revivals uh, in the Great Awakening? The revivals that happened just before. And everybody listen. In the beginning, before the first Great Awakening, what happened is Jonathan Edwards preached at a young person's funeral and was 
frustrated and infuriated, just like Al Mohler gives a story 200, 300 years later, sitting in a seminary class, who was frustrated beyond belief at a bunch of young people in his class as he's preaching the word of God. You know why he was ticked off? You want to know what started a bunch of revivals that led to the Great Awakening? Preaching hard and calling out young people for being so arrogant. And it wasn't arrogant in their abilities and their talents and the things they could do. The arrogance was, you think you're invincible. Some of you in here tonight are talking in the middle of it. Because you don't have any sense of urgency. You don't see the seriousness that the day of the Lord is at hand. You could drive home tonight and boom, you're dead. Is there any testing and examining yourself today? It's in one ear, out the other, constantly. You hear the truths all the time, and it's head knowledge. But examine your days, examine your life. Are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Are you abiding in the Word of God? If if you don't take it seriously, just call it a crutch, and you're no different than every other false religion that has a little thing they hold on to to make themselves feel better about the fact that death is coming. Either it's real to you or it's not. And if it's real, it radically transforms your life. Don't be arrogant. Don't play games. If it's humorous to you, don't even play the facade. Don't even bring that shame upon the glory of Christ. Call it what it is. You're not urgent. You're arrogant in your boasting. You're not keeping in step with the Spirit. You don't desire the Word of God. And I pray that your eyes would be open and your heart would heed the warnings that Jesus gives in Scripture. The day of the Lord is at hand. Hebrews 3, the context of exhorting one another as long as called the day. Before it says, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. You want to know what the preaching of that was? In that chapter, in that time, in AD 60? It was, hey, there's persecution. Nero is chopping people's heads off. He's putting Christians on, on parts of his garden, burning them on fire while they're alive. People are going into the uh, arenas, being ripped limb from limb by, by beasts. He's saying today is the day of salvation because tomorrow isn't promised. And today, we live like we are totally invincible. Tomorrow, I'll fix it. Tomorrow, I'll start. Tomorrow, I'll get up early. Tomorrow, I'll do this diligence. Tomorrow, I'll pray. Tomorrow, I'll do this. What's the, what's the famous quote? Tomorrow is the devil's word. It makes no sense to me Well, it does, actually, because that was me for 25, 26 years playing the Christian, playing church, checking off lists. I knew all the right answers. It was God's grace. So I preach to you out of frustration to be different. But I preach in such a way that it is only the grace of God that will do this in you. And so, Lord, my preaching is a prayer as well. The key to cultivating a biblical worldview is by simply making the best use of your time. As you've seen today, the Bible is incredibly clear on how we should spend our time and what we should avoid. Rich Seagal gives us a great thought by telling us that in all actuality, and this is my biggest thing, you know, when I was in college, I I was the last person to go to sleep in my dorm, and I was the first one up. Stupid. I never slept. Do you want to know why? This is idiotic. I didn't want to miss anything. That's like, that was like my, I don't want to miss anything. As soon as one dorm room, 
would stop playing college basketball on the Xbox or stop playing whatever or stop talking and giggling like a bunch of four-year-olds. They would want to go to bed because I had an early class. I'm like, oh, all right. Walk out in the dorm, find the next room that's open with a light, and I would join the party. Oh, they're going to bed. All right, find the next one. Until I was the last person awake. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go to sleep for an hour and a half. And then I'd be one of the first ones up because I'd want to go to the gym with somebody or I'd want to go for a run with somebody or I'd want to go get breakfast with me. I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to miss anything. Rich Seagal shows us this really is a foolish thought because for those in Christ, time doesn't run out. We will get to do, see, love, experience, and enjoy all that we hope to and much more for all of eternity. But there are some things, and this is why we have, you think back to the, one of our theme verses, make the best use of time because the days are evil. There are some things that will not be taking place for eternity. Repentance will not be happening in eternity. The opportunity for people to be saved in the preaching of the gospel as a means will not be happening in eternity. This is why we must make the best use of your time. Can, can I tell you once again, you do not exist for yourself. Your time is not your own. You do not belong to yourself. Stop being so selfish, David. I'm, I'm, I am. I'm preaching him here. The days are evil. We must be alert and seek to honor the Lord with our time. Your regrets before the Lord will never be that you didn't do more worldly things. What will probably happen is that I will weep and be burdened for the moments that I wasted my life. God help me. Our goal every day is the glory of God to be revealed in and through us. It's not projects. It's not popularity. It's not comfort. It's not greed. There are areas you might think in tonight's topic that seem untouched. You, you might be saying, we just had a biblical worldview discussion on time, and you didn't tell me what I should do about how I balance work and family, or how I balance leisure and study, or how I balance rest and play, or how I, how I balance when I say yes and when I say no, or how much time I spend with these people or those people or this kind of things or those types of things. And, and you might say, there's a lot that was left unanswered, and I would suggest that actually Every single one of these areas has been discussed tonight. Every single one of those questions I actually think was answered. The wrong way to approach those answers is to ask them and then answer the question. That's the wrong way. I say when you think about the question, what does God require from me each day? I think that you will find our 12 exhortations are sufficient for every question you could possibly have on a daily basis. Seek first his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Nick, if you put up those three verses again for us. Let's read them again. Psalm 90.12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Ephesians 5.15-16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. In your handout tonight, you will have an overview of our discussion this evening. And on the back and the bottom, I have um, some book recommendations. Now, I, I say that with the caveat because it is important that you make your number one priority of reading the Word of God. That's the only thing that has life. It's the only thing that's infallible and without error, okay? So I would, I would challenge you to be people of the word. 
But God has used uh, the writings uh, of godly men and women that we can learn from in the same way that you listen to preachers or your parents or whatever. And I would highly recommend, I left four books. There are plenty more that I would recommend, but I think these are four good starters. I would highly recommend the four books that I have on the back of your sheet. And I would put in the discipline of your life of reading uh, what great joy and growth can come from those things. And read books that causes you to love God and his word more. All right? I apologize if I got too intense. But I just want us to see the seriousness. Right? I mean, at some point, and I'm going to pray in a moment, we're done. But at some point, when you lay your head on your pillow, you've, you've got to ask yourself, do I really feel the urgency of what is taking place? Nick, put back, back up what's at stake. I want you to read these four things and ask yourself, is it worth it spending your time for your own kingdom and your own selfishness and not heeding the warnings that God gives us? I've got dozens of names in my head that if they die tonight, will go to hell. And I will weep at that funeral if that happens. But they are not there yet and I'm alive and breathing, and they're alive and breathing, and God forbid I waste my time. Rather, I pray I make the best use of it for the sake of my sanctification, for my brothers and sisters' sanctification, for the sake of those who are lost and perishing, and so that God will be glorified in my life and through my life. All right? Let's pray. God, I do believe this is one of the most important discussions we've had all year. The sad truth is that um, in many ways, it's easier to stand at an abortion clinic with a sign for three hours, say a few things and come home and feel like we've accomplished what we should accomplish for that day. It's easy to go volunteer at an elementary school and have breakfast with a bunch of kids and make them feel loved. In many ways, it's easy to go across the world with a team and be there for a little bit and love them and invest in them and come home. In many ways, God, it is easy to sing on a praise team, play on a praise team, go to a life group, go to a home group. It's easy to go to a church service. What's not easy is making the best use of our time. These are small portions of our days and small portions of our life. And yet we seem to put so much emphasis and energy on these minuscule moments. Now, moments of incredible importance, unbelievable importance, commands that you give us in Scripture. I don't belittle those. But I'm calling in my own life and in the lives of those in this room accountability for the rest of our time. Help us not to compartmentalize secular and sacred in our lives. Help us to seek to implement these biblical exhortations to heed the warnings. There's plenty more exhortations and warnings. 
Help us to be serious. And God, forgive us our arrogance of feeling invincible. Tonight, our soul could be required of us. Help us to test ourselves and examine ourselves for the sake of your kingdom, our sanctification, our brothers and sisters' sanctification, the gospel, and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.